Were ghosts and frightful spiritual experiences foundational in Mormonism? Well, the answer may surprise you. Bishop Earl and I will be talking about that next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? In 1987, LDS historian Michael D. Quinn, or D. Michael Quinn, D. Michael, D. Yes, Michael Quinn, guess. sorry, published a research book entitled Early Mormonism and the Magic Worldview. An updated right edition, edition was published in 1999. Now, few LDS or Mormon polygamists are even aware of the research, and fewer would even read the book if they knew about it, and probably even fewer are even concerned that Mormonism does have roots in the occult. This culture has not only placed Joseph Smith on a high pedestal, they have very little interest in discovering if what he taught was even the truth. Or, yeah, especially. And they fear reading non-faith building materials, as we both know, and their leaders have warned them against reading anything that isn't faith building. So we pray, and purpose for our show is, that our viewers will find the courage to research for themselves what we're going to talk about today. And you can find all this information that we're talking about in his book that we're um, discussing. And, and, and before we get into the material, we need be, what he wrote here, we need to lay the foundation of God's will uh, concerning spiritism and dabbling in the occult activity. We're going to show that the root of Joseph Smith's Mormonism comes directly from practices that God has forbidden. Yes, starting with Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 14. Let no one be found among you who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you will dispossess listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. So God's people are not permitted to do this. Mm -hmm. Leviticus 19.31 says, Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. And Leviticus 20.27, 20, A man or woman who is a medium or a spiritist among you must be put to death. That's serious stuff. <laughs> yes, yeah. we have this serious... So we've laid the foundation that God does not allow this kind yeah. of activity. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same God who commanded against consulting the dead, which is called necromancy, is the same God today who hasn't changed his mind. Now, necromancy is attempted communication with the dead. It includes seances and psychics and baptism for dead people, Hello. <laughs> praying to or for the dead, seeking spiritual experiences with those who are dead. All that is necromancy. What does God say about it? Kind of clear. Isaiah <coughs> 8, 19 and 20. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. And this word, of course, is God's, the Bible. Right. God has forbidden it, and he calls it detestable. He asks, 
why do people inquire of dead people when you can go to the living God with our questions? And whatever any person or spirit says, if it doesn't agree with God's word, then they have no light of truth in them. So whatever they say is useless anyway. And that is the standard that God has set for humans. So what about Joseph Smith? Was he involved with these detestable activities? Did he do the things of which God has forbidden? The answer is yes, he did those things. And the history of the Smith family shows that they were neck deep in occult activities. <laughs> Quinn's book is about this very thing. And he points out that in Joseph Smith's day, there was an astounding quantity of books that were available about witchcraft and, mm -hmm. and ceremonial magic and omens and divination. By the way, when we refer to magic in this, it's not merely magician's illusions that no, no. we know of today. No. It's the, ma the magic that Joseph Smith and his family participated in is a kind that involves spiritism and divination. The dark side. The dark side <laughs> of it, yeah. And anyone at that time who was interested in the topic or the activity of the occult had no difficulty obtaining information about it and instructions on how to do it. Joseph Smith gathered information on the occult using those books. You know, we'll quote here from D. Michael Quinn's book, uh, Early Mormonism and the Magic Worldview, page 218. The Mormon prophet's knowledge of such literature is not a myth. The myth is LDS emphasis on Joseph Smith as an ill-read farm boy. That's the myth. That's the myth. And the sad fact is, many of today's Mormons and polygamists are more poorly read than Joseph Smith was when it comes to their own church history. Yep. Now, this book goes into great detail about the focus on and the belief in ghosts and spooks and buried treasures, and it chronicles the environment of Western New York in the 1820s, which made an impact on Joseph Smith. Yeah, from page 25. A Palmyra <clears throat> newspaper is one of the best sources for describing the treasure-digging environment in Western New York during the 1820s. Quoting, men and women without distinction of age or sex became marvelous wise in the occult sciences. Many dreamed and others saw visions disclosing to them <clears throat> deep in the bowels of the earth rich and shining treasures. And to facilitate those mighty mining operations, money was usually if not always sought after in, these night, in the nighttime, diverse devices and implements were invented. The newspaper proclaimed mineral rods, that is, divining rods, and balls, reminds me of the ball in the Book of Mormon, were supposed to be infallible guides to the sources of wealth. Peep stones, hmm, or pebbles taken promiscuously from the brook or field were placed in a hat or other situation excluded from the light when some wizard or witch declared they saw all the wonders of nature, including, of course, ample stores of silver and gold. Now, this is kind of the eerie Boy, part of all this, this isn't is it? This is from the Palmyra newspaper. Uh-huh. Wow. And it tells about the activity that was going on in that time in the yeah. same area that Joseph Smith and his family lived. And how much and of this did I believe? And what they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> Notice that it was normal for those treasure seekers to use peep stones yeah. placed in a hat to determine various locations of hidden treasure. It was always money-oriented, money-focused. Sure. Sure. And Joseph Smith placed a piece of stone in his hat to produce the Book of Mormon. The Mormon churches finally admitted that. It was not translated from gold plates. Excuse me, my voice has given out. 
Do you need more water? <laughs> I'm sorry. What's interesting is in Doctrine and Covenants 28.11, Joseph Smith warned Oliver Cowdery that the devil deceives through reading from a rock. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That he would say that. Now, D. Michael Quinn's research reveals that the Smith family participated in superstitious uh, superstitions and occultic practices. In fact, earlier generations of the Smith family were also involved with the occult. The Smith family neighbors witnessed their involvement, we quote. Yeah, from page 42. According to Vermont neighbors, Joseph Smith Sr. expressed belief in seerstones before the family moved to New York. During a visit to the area, a Vermont judge learned that Joseph Smith Sr. was at times engaged in hunting for Captain Kidd's buried treasure. Hmm. His wife, Lucy Mack Smith, also used seer stones. New York neighbor Samantha Payne said that Joseph Smith Sr.'s wife once came to my mother to get a stone the children had found of curious shape. She wanted to use it as a peep stone. So they would go stone well, hunting sometimes. Even mom and sometimes. dad were into this. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and they would go looking for peep stones, and if a rock looked pretty or odd-shaped or colored or whatever, then they would grab it and use it and clean it up and use it for a peep stone. Crazy. So his mother and father were engrossed in the same peep stone use as Joseph Smith used to produce the Book of Mormon. One of Emma's cousins witnessed their activities as well, and we quote. Hmm. Page 65 says, Emma Smith's cousin, Joseph Lewis, wrote, Alva Hale, Emma's brother, says, Joe Smith never handled one shovel full of earth in those diggings. All that Smith did was to peep with stone and hat and give directions where and how to dig and when and where the enchantment Move the treasure. I've heard about that. Well, that's kind of they pray weird and too. All of a sudden, it, the Satan or devil moves it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and um, and he did that with the with the Book of Mormon reading. He'd put his head in the hat, and then somebody else would write it down. Yeah. All he, that's all he did was put his head in the hat and say words. So that's a, it's kind of like a crystal ball today. Look at yeah, that in the crystal right. ball and see what the future is. It's a pattern of psychic, superstitious, and spiritist practices of those times, which God has prohibited. Some local residents reported that the Smith family was so engrossed with their divinations that they neglected their farm work and other normal responsibilities. Now, notice in the next quote that Smith's mother Lucy did not deny that the, their occult activity, no. but she did deny that it interfered <laughs> with their responsibilities. Yeah, page 68 of the book. Joseph's mother did not deny that her family participated in occult activities. She simply affirmed that these did not prevent family members from accomplishing other equally important work. More important, she also affirmed that these activities of folk, mag folk magic were part of her family's spiritual quest. Drawing magic circles or soothsaying was one important interest of Joseph Smith's family. Their neighbor, an early Mormon convert, Orrin Porter Rockwell, also described how Lucy Mack Smith helped direct her son to, direct, to treasure digging locations by dreams she had. Belief in magic was not at odds with the Smith family's religious attitudes and can be seen instead as evidence of them. And yet it is at odds with the Christian yes. uh, belief and practice. Yeah. Very much at odds. 
Other family acquaintances uh, said that, that Smith's mother revealed knowledge of mag magic formulas and rituals, and of course that is witchcraft. Yeah. Another local resident reported that Lucy performed various uh, forms of magic divination, including palmistry, reading really? your palms. Yeah. So there is an overwhelming abundance of historical information affirming that Joseph Smith and his family were immersed in the type of activity that God has prohibited. When Joseph Smith was shot and killed, they found concealed under his shirt, next to his skin, and this is very important, the Jupiter talisman. We quote. Yeah, page 87. Magic books instructed that the talisman should be worn around the neck and carried on the breast. Typically, an amulet was worn under the clothing next to the skin of the person seeking its protective powers. That explains why the Smith talisman has a hole at the edge opposite the astrological symbol of Jupiter. Smith's silver medallion was designed to hang on a chain or ribbon around the neck, thus concealing the talisman underneath his clothing. An 1825 occult handbook described both the secrecy and purposes for wearing a Jupiter talisman. It may be suspended about the neck or worn about any part of the body so that it may be kept secret to all but the wearer. Its effects are to give the most decisive victory over enemies, to defend against machinations, and to inspire the wearer thereof with the most remarkable confidence. Those purposes of a secret Jupiter talisman match Joseph Smith's needs particularly in 1844. Now that's interesting, and we're going to put this together. Yeah. And that is what the, today's Mormon garments are really yeah, supposed to they do. They really are. They wear them next to the skin, like the Jupiter talisman was worn, and, and they say that you'll be protected from physical as well as spiritual danger. Yeah. Of course, that can't be true, and is absolute uh, superstition. God alone is our protector, and nothing handmade or homemade or, or religion concocted takes the place of God and His role as our protector. And we're wearing Masonic symbols. The symbols on, on, the, on garments. the garments. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and Joseph Smith wore this talisman uh, for protection and power. Yeah. That's what he wrote it for. But, and he got power over a certain amount of people, but it sure didn't protect him. It obviously didn't. <laughs> Apparently not. And LDS folks wear their garment for protection, and many of them claim that they have been protected because of the garments. But how many people who wear amulets and talismans and secret garments uh, are actually hurt and killed and, and get involved in accidents or Ill injuries and illnesses despite the fact that they're wearing the garments? And, of course, many people who do not where a secret garments are spared from disasters. Just the opposite. Yeah. 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 We never hear about those stories. No. no. These psychic, magical, and superstitious ideas are at the root of Mormonism. Brigham Young, and this this some of this stuff really surprised me. I, I didn't, didn't know, this. know about I didn't this. Know this either. But he was also involved in superstitious spiritism. Yeah, reporting on page 88, similar to the situation with Smith's talisman, contemporary associates did not report during his lifetime that LDS President Brigham Young possessed the bloodstone amulet his niece donated to a museum decades after his death. She stated that Young used this stone for protection, and its metal casing allowed this amulet to be hung from the neck next to his skin. Like Smith's close friends, Young's associates did not know he possessed an amulet. 
The bloodstone was used for ritual magic during the part of September that is significant for the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. Now this is all getting kind of weird, very, in, in, very weird. and very deep into occultic beliefs and practices. About a prophet of God. Prophets of God don't that. do that, no. yeah. And when the Book of Mormon was produced, it was a direct result of occult magic. Now, about Smith's visions, we have some quotes from some of the earliest statements that were made from his followers, some of his followers, about the visions. Yeah, page 138. The earliest Mormon accounts stated that Smith's 1823 epiphany was the nocturnal visit of a spirit. Beginning in 1829, newspapers reported similar statements of young Smith's encounter with the spirit, adding that this occurred in a dream. Cousins of Smith's wife also reported that, quote, he said that by a dream he was informed by a ghost. Why did the earliest Mormon accounts call the 1823 experience a dream while official narratives later use the word vision? So here we are, more immersing religious. all of this, yeah, and yeah. it's going to draw more people if it's a vision. Yeah. And according to, uh, to some of Joseph Smith's earliest followers, his 1823 spiritual uh, experience was either a vision or a dream, and they saw it as being directly connected with Joseph Smith's divination activities. We quote from page 144. Published guides specified that the hour and day of Joseph Smith's 1823 prayer to commune with some kind of messenger was ideal for the invocation of spirits. The magical angel of that hour was Raphael, whose name was inscribed at the center of the Smith family's layman, which is a magic parchment, to commune with a good spirit. So they had all these things, yeah. you know, around them in their home and so on. But but it really, people might say, well, there was good spirits good that spirit. are involved with it, but it couldn't be. Couldn't they be. and they the, the good spirit, God is forbidden spiritism. And so the good spirits wouldn't even be involved with it. And even though spiritual experiences may leave the person with wonderful ecstatic feelings, they're not from God. God has warned us against spiritism. He has warned us to rely upon him for all good things. He has instructed us to test the spirits and warned that even Satan appears as an angel of light whose purpose is to deceive. God also warns us to beware because the devil and his demons can do and do perform miracles, false miracles. Jesus himself warned us of demonic activity. He cast demons out of people many times during his ministry. There are no, they're not to be uh, minimized or pandered to because they are the power behind the forbidden activities God has warned us against. And this is serious. This is not trivial. It no. does matter. Yeah. God warned them early on that idolatry is demon worship. Yeah, these quotes from Psalms 106, 30, verses 36 and 37. They worshiped their idols, which became a snare to them, and they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. Now that's, wow. yeah, that, that, and that's what the Bible says. We can't minimize that. No. We have to, uh, to believe what God has written, and He's written it there for our protection. But the Smith family was deeply involved with all of these things. Mm. And when Joseph Smith finally got a hold of the gold plates, which he had to go through hoops yeah. so many times just to... It kept moving. Just to get them. <laughs> no. 
uh, and no one ever saw the plates except with spiritual eyes. Now they claimed they saw them yeah. and touched them, but they were always covered. Never heard and of then that. later said, "Well, I didn't actually see them with my physical eyes. I okay. saw them with my spiritual Second eyes." Second sight or something, mm -hmm. where yeah. you can just close your eyes and envision something, and, mm -hmm. and it the come, spiritual comes side. to you. Yeah. yeah, they didn't see them with their real eyes. So, so then Joseph Smith, he gets the plates and he begins to translate, we call it the translating process, and it went very slowly until Oliver Cowdery arrived on the scene as Smith's scribe, and this is what we yeah, read. Let's explain on page 169. <laughs> In 1829, Harris told a newspaper of his experience with Smith's first effort at translation. By placing the spectacles in a hat and looking into it, Smith interprets the characters into the English language. This dictation of translated words proceeded slowly until the arrival of Oliver Cowdery at Smith's home in Harmony. Cowdery began acting as scribe on 7 April of 1829. He and Smith completed the translation and transcription process by the end of June. BYU professor Robert Bushman has noted that Smith dictated after Oliver Cowdery's arrival at the rate of eight pages of, of printed text a day, a marvelous production rate for any writer and a stupendous one for an uneducated 23-year-old who, according to his wife, could scarcely write a coherent letter. And of course, we know that all of that is, is a myth, yeah. um, but he didn't translate. He did not translate the Book of Mormon from... Uh, got the gold plates. Yeah, it wasn't a translation in the At true all. sense of a word translation. Right. He was given the... He dictated, yeah, he but he didn't words, translate. Right. Uh, and one person remarked that the reason that the translation process um, was sped, sped up was when Oliver Cowdery came was because yeah. he brought his, the book, uh, View of the Hebrews, with him. And it had a similar storyline as the Book of Mormon ended up having and some direct quotes yeah. in the Book of Mormon. That was exact Oli quotes. Oliver's pastor, I think, Ethan Smith. I think it was, yeah. yeah. Um, so and so, it would get go along faster if they were copying from somebody else's work. In any event, it's all very suspicious, and it shows a total rebellion by Joseph Smith against God's commands. Now, in defending the Book of Mormon, a Bible passage from Isaiah 29 is very often used to validate its reliability. Uh, I don't know if you knew this when you were part of the church. I probably used it on my mission. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It was out of the dust. Yeah. Isaiah twenty nine four, and thou shalt be brought down, and shall speak out of the ground, and thy speech shall be low out of the dust, and thy voice shall be as one that hath a familiar spirit. Out of the ground, and thy speech shall whisper out of the dust. Now notice out of the dust, and they're saying that Joseph Smith got the gold plates out of the yeah. dust, and now that proves, and this was a prophecy of the coming Book of Mormon, blah, blah, blah. But it can't be. It absolutely cannot be an Old Testament prophecy for the Book of Mormon. No. Now, of course, taken out of concept, context and, and placed in any false doctrine uh, or any false teachings, just about anything can be made to say anything right. from the Bible. But... This isn't what it is. Let's quote from Quinn's book again. Yeah, this is a little, clears it up a little bit. Page 195. An LDS leader explained that the familiar spirit in Isaiah 29.4 means that the Book of Mormon has a biblical sound and feel to it. Apostle LeGrand Richards wrote, Truly it has a familiar spirit, for it contains the words of the prophets of the God of Israel. However, that separates the text from the English language of its time. 
1830, there was a more common meaning of familiar spirit that placed the Book of Mormon's use of Isaiah 29 within an occult context. Centuries before 1830, the phrase familiar spirit referred only to necromancy. And, and that's very true. The LDS, of course, defends the Book of Mormon from passages like this. But the use of the words, uh, the two words, familiar spirit. spirit, by itself is proof that the Book of Mormon could not be from God. We know that because God has warned us against familiar spirits. Yeah, these two quotes from Leviticus 19.31 give no regard to mediums or and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be filed by them. I am the Lord your God, and Leviticus 20 and 6, and the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. Again, we wow. cannot say how, how serious this really is. Sounds and like for, for passages like this, and then for them to turn around and say, the Book of Mormon has a familiar spirit and it's a good thing. Yeah. It, it just, you just, speak out of the that's gymnastics with, yeah. the, with the language. God warns, don't do it, that he will set his face against those who do. Joseph Smith did it. His family did it. Oliver Cowdery, Martin Harris, Brigham Young, Heber C. Kimball, Orson Hyde, Parley Pratt, John F. Boynton, William Smith, Lyman Johnson, and many, many more early Mormon men either participated in or affirmed their reliance on the occult. It is the root of Joseph Smith's Mormonism, early Mormons and the Smith family, and the historical record all testify to their reliance on divination. Now this book, as you can see, is almost two inches thick. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a big, thick book. Obviously, there's a lot more information here than we're able to discuss, and we urge the, those viewers who dare to doubt yeah. to read the book. It overflows with references and footnotes. The information is supported by eyewitnesses and court records and newspaper articles. It's not a conspiracy to upend well, Joseph a Smith. BYU professor, wasn't he? And he was, yeah. He got uh, excommunicated for wow. telling the truth, <laughs> and, and 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 it's just it's just the facts. Actually, it's just the facts. Yeah. It's what it is. Well, when I think back about my time in the temple, Doris, it's just embarrassing to myself that I would be so. I mean, I actually did talk to the people that I was going through for, praying that they would accept this work that I was doing for them. I, mm -hmm, was, their, mm -hmm. I was their little savior, mm -hmm. and they couldn't get to heaven without me going mm -hmm. through the temple That's for them. Right. I mean, somebody else could have done it, but I was there at the time, had their name, and, and I was talking to dead people, and of course I've been baptized for a lot of dead people. And Aren't you glad God forgives? Yeah, I need Aren't you I glad need that he just washes and, our past away and forgives yeah, us with the yeah. starts with a clean slate. Well, I've got all these Mormon friends that are still yeah. and family that are still mm. stuck in this. Uh, well, we, we urge our viewers to check these things out. It is important. It's very important. And yeah. it's not anything to play around with. God said. God yeah. said. Thank you, yeah, Thank you Earl. My pleasure. Again. <laughs> you know, God asked Isaiah, why consult the dead on behalf of the living? The Bible says that the dead have nothing more to do with anything under the sun. It says the dead know nothing. So why consult the dead when we can go to God who knows everything? Why ignore God but depend upon the spirits of the dead? Christianity's roots are found in the Bible. 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and the book of Acts, and the rest. They're dependable and destruct uh, instructive and truthful and historical. And God tells us in the Bible to test the spirits. Why? Because bad spirits, which are demons, disguise themselves as good spirits. In his purpose to protect us, God prohibits necromancy and divination, which are at the root of Mormonism. So protect yourself. Turn to God. Trust in Jesus. We don't need Joseph Smith or the Book of Mormon or rituals. All we need is Jesus. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.